Shall I take your order, or do you need a minute? Ah, yes, I'll be ready. Just buying a car on Carvana. What? It's super convenient. I already got pre-qualified in two minutes. All I had to do was answer a few questions. What? That's handy. Yeah. Now I'm customizing my down and monthly payments. What? That's an exquisite deal. And just like that, Carvana's delivering my car in a couple days. What? Oh, yeah. Uh, sorry. I'll have the burrito. Visit Carvana.com to finance your next car. Financing subject to credit approval. Delivery fees may apply. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Dr. Drew Podcast. Appreciate you all being here and supporting the people that support us. We appreciate it. Don't forget to check out Dr.TV for that streaming program Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday at 3 o'clock. Of course, Adam and I are still doing our thing. Drew.com for everything else. Today... My buddy Daryl Hammond joins us. Wow. Yeah, wow, indeed. I'm your buddy. You're my buddy because... Because... You know, I don't know if you remember our... our <laughs> you're, you're nodding, yes. Our adventures together. Well. Uh, but but we had a... We literally had like a equivalent of a buddy film, you know, uh, the, one day in Toronto when the lights went out. Yeah. Yeah, we did the film in Toronto, New York Minute with the Olsen twins. And um, I remember that it was quite hot and the days were quite long. Um, yeah. But we left. Well, but you, but what I, but our, our buddy part was it was we were there in Toronto for a couple of weeks and the big uh, power outage of the eastern seaboard happened while we were there. And so in our hotel, no water because you couldn't pump water up. Yeah, no yeah. elevator, no lights, no no air conditioning. It was hot as shit. And you and I were wandering in the streets of, streets of Toronto looking for water. If you remember, I do. And was what was was it? I recall the streets were dark. It was daytime when we started, uh, but yeah, everything was dark. But, but, but it, 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 we 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 actually were like we're fighting the clock like we got to get this done before it gets dark because there's going to be no lights out here. Okay, okay, all right. Sorry, I had that wrong. And so yes, there was a there was there wasn't beverages, <laughs> there wasn't ice. Imagine a world without ice and and your your favorite tasty beverage. It was just, just the a, water aspect of it. Yeah, weird. Just just saying, hey, you know, because you know, I never thought about water before, but no, you know. We did, and uh, I think we managed to have a couple of laughs. If I'm not, I yes, have a generally yes, good feeling about it. Yeah, we did. Daryl Hammond and Doctor Drew walking into your liquor store begging for water. That was the that was the the, the theme of the buddy film. And as, as I recall, you you weren't supposed to even use the toilets or something. And I, I remember going to bed that night, going, I don't know how this is going to work out. And it just, and I think it all turned on during the night or something. If I remember right, was it something? Was it was it conserve water by not flushing? I think that was something in that order. Right? We were there all. It was all kinds. Of, it was very confusing. I just remember that. And I just remember shocking. this crazy phrase: "If it, if it's brown, f- flush it down. If it's yellow, let it mellow." <laughs> Which came from, I believe, Mayor Koch, George in New York. That's so funny. Well, tell me about your current project. Well, it's based on a book that's a New York Times bestseller. God, if you're not up there, I'm fucked. And it details uh, my life of uh, not knowing what was wrong with me, being a cutter, 
for a long time and then finally meeting this doctor who's 100 years ahead of his time who figures out what's wrong with me and voila, here I am in L.A. and Pretty reasonably good health, which is remarkable to me. Um, let me see, what, what kind of, how can I make it? If you think of one flu, did you see the King's speech? Oh, yeah. Where the King can't talk and a guy comes in, gives him, okay. So the King's speech versus, uh, I guess, one flew over the cuckoo's nest or meets. Because there's a um, a lot of the play, the second half of the play takes place in a nut house where I meet this great doctor who comes in and, and figures out what the hell's going going on with me and why 39 other doctors could. And so where where can we see this, first of all? It's going to be at Manetta Lane Theater um, January 15th or 20th or something like that. I don't have the exact date right in front of me, but it's Manetta Lane Theater. That it's being recorded by Amazon Audible. Um, oh, wow, that's cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I did a play once there with Billy Crystal that was recorded by Audible. And they, they, it's quite a slick production they put out. Are you out here in Los Angeles now? Is that where you live? I am in Los Angeles, sir. And you lived in New York for a long time, right? Long time, until three years ago. When I had a um, incredibly bizarre experience during uh, COVID that shocked me so bad, um, I sold my apartment and moved here. I mean, what? I ran into a very dark soul. What What happened? I just got manipulated by somebody. Oh my God. Who made me believe things that um, I believed. I am so sorry. That's okay. I mean, I want to write a book about it. I, you know, the first book I wrote with Liz Stein, who is also a New York Times bestselling author, and she's afraid to write this book about this person because this person is too scary. Wow. Mm hmm. Um, so long story short, I couldn't be in that apartment anymore. I was conned hmm. into believing that somebody loved me and, um, I left and I sold it and moved here and Hollywood is West Hollywood is where I'm at. I'm really having a great experience out here. Did, did this, you know, this manipulation that occurred, did it happen? It was COVID sort of the setup for it. Is that why you were kind of, I, 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 I you know, I, I gotta wonder how much the crazy isolation that yeah. I, you know, I was enduring because I, I've had all forms of, been treated for all different forms of depression, I believe, in my life, and successfully, I think, but not isolation. What happens when mammals are separated that need to congregate or aren't allowed to in the sickness that? It, no, you you that is a major thing, man. I I I think that I that it is extremely bad for us. I I was telling somebody this morning, I still think we're under the influence of it. Like it's still it was a shock to our system. And I and I'm seeing so much <clears throat> I don't know how to describe it except dumb stuff people are doing and thinking like where, what? Oh, I just I just I it's all the time. I I've, I've decided I've 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 divided the world into smart and dumb because, and, and I don't mean it pejoratively. It's just like, dude, dude, you're being dumb. And, uh, and I, to the point where I was this morning, I was talking about, um, with a friend of mine who's a professional and he was talking about an attorney who it, it was a, you know, sort of a complicated tax issue. And what he got back was dumb. 
And I said, well, it's this, I'm seeing a lot of dumb these days. And he goes, I don't know if it's incompetence or laziness. I said, no, it's dumb. And to the point where I start wondering if COVID hurt our brains more than we know. It's quite a shock to your system to every time you think you're out of the woods and it's safe to, uh, to go to a show or a movie or a ball game, um, a new virus, a new strain would occur. Mm. This play was being put on last year off-Broadway at Manetta Lane Theater. The theater closed due to COVID. Then it was moved to the Helen Hayes Theater on Broadway, and uh, the cast of Hamilton got sick with COVID, and then, therefore, insurers didn't want to insure new shows anymore. Oh, my God. I mean, and, and, you know, getting your hands on on a theater in New York City is hard. Oh, my God. Impossible. And, and, and when you lose it, it ain't going to come right back. Oh. You, you know what it is. I mean, yes. to me, in the play, you know, I, I, I pay a little homage to the fact that, you know, I remember I had sores on my face. I was showing signs of being in solitary confinement. And there I am in the Upper West Side. I mean, you know, with the, the wind, you know how it is in the Upper West Side of Manhattan in the winter. Lots of wind, lots of ice, lots mm. of snow, dark, dark, dark most of the time. And here we are, you know, 72 hours at a time, no human contact. I started getting sores on my face. They say that it's a symptom of solitary confinement. I don't know. but Well, it's because you start picking at yourself. That they, like a dog licking his leg till he licks his hair off. That's what that's a mammal do. They start, they start messing with themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so at that time, in order, if you wanted any human contact, you could then go to a diner in the, and sit in a snowbank next to a heat lamp, <laughs> um, wearing a mask, of course, until your food arrives. And then you your mask off. And enter the picture, the nicest, most personable, smartest, most interesting person I've ever met. And... She had a narrative. She made me believe all kinds of things. And I didn't really know at the time that she had a a double life. Wow. I'm so sorry. What a it's it's okay. So We're going to write that book one day. Uh, oh, I hope so. And I know I've come out here and I've met the greatest people out here, you know, West Hollywood. Beverly Hills, L.A., Palisades, you know, it's a it's 12-step Mecca out here. Yes, it is. Yes, it you, is. You want to heal from something, this is the place to be. Yes, yes, it is. It, it, it's for sure. But, man. So do you want me to tell you the precepts of the play and see if you can hold on to one of them? Absolutely. Okay. Precept number one, mental illness is not an airborne virus. Okay. Precept number two, monst- real monsters hide in the light. Mm-hmm. Precept number three: Monsters don't make themselves. Hmm. Precept number four is: First, you're a victim, then you're a monster. Hmm. Hmm. That's an interesting insight. That's the play. And by the way, uh, not all victims become monsters, right? Nope. Uh, and. In the current political environment, victims have been imbued with only good. 
So if they become a monster, they can certainly get away with quite a bit. Well, if you look at monsterdom, um, if you want to know what you define a monster, let's just say serial killers and violent uh, criminals who committed violent crimes of rape. You know what I mean? The stuff you read about, I mean, they didn't come from nowhere. No. Well, some some are genetically set up, but most are made. Well, I had an interesting talk. When I did Criminal Minds, there was an FBI profiler that would help us on the set. And I had a very interesting talk about, are they born? Are they made? Hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and, and the, the idea that it's much easier to prove because we have case histories that lots of people that serial killers, mass murderers, whatever, um, it's easy to prove there's an antecedent that they had um, what their childhood was like. Mm-hmm. According to the profiler, there is a slim percentage where we just can't figure it out. Right. That's true. So that's, um, I'm just joining in with you on that. Cause I was, there was a time for me when I was like, no, I'm, I remember saying to him, like, no, no, no. They all, there's always trauma before. And he was saying, there are cases where we can't prove it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're going to look for child abuse. Yeah. And we're not finding. The same thing is true of a lot of uh, personality disorders. Like, for instance, borderline personality disorder. Very common for them to have had childhood abuse, particularly. Sexual. Can I raise my hand? Yeah, and say, um, let's talk, talk a little bit about borderline personality disorder. Let, let's Is not talk about. In, huh? Yes, I want talk to. to you want to? Okay. okay. I want to. Okay. The woman in New York that conned me. Um, it turns out she had been diagnosed as a borderline personality disorder, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and my understanding of it is, correct me if I'm wrong, is it's everything. There's a different degree in, in everything, correct? Yeah. At its most advanced, a borderline personality is the person that not only uh, has different sides to them, there are actually two separate person states. Well, this is this is what people talk about. So, see, at, at minimum, it's an unstable identity. I think that kind of encapsulates borderline, and it can go all the way into different personalities. And some people believe that when we talk about dissociative identity disorder or something called multiple personality disorder, really we're just talking about severe borderline. But but this well, they listed online. Borderline is listed. As a multiple personality disorder, it, it it is people. These are all theoretical things. You know, how do we define these things? But yes, they, they will they will take it there very often. I'm really excited today to talk to you about Ketone IQ from HVMN Health via Modern Nutrition. I literally just took some. It's a shot whenever you need to re-energize. It's no sugar. It's no caffeine. It is a ketone, but it's a specially modified ketone that they develop for the military when people have long periods where they can't get access to food and they need to keep their energy up and they want to get some mental clarity. And I'm telling you, it works. Your brain and body is fueled by ketones and you can find Ketone IQ in your local Sprouts nationwide. And you can save 30% off your first subscription order of Ketone IQ, it's K-E-T-O-N-E dash IQ, 
at hvmn.com slash Drew. I'm very excited about this product. It has helped me control my appetite. It has helped me reduce some of the calories I take in during my meals. It has given me mental clarity and energy for both workout and cognitive tasks. I'm telling you, uh, look, it's no accident the military went for this. This is a great product, and I suggest you give it a shot. It's a great adjunct to your nutritional program. It is, again, Ketone IQ at hvmn, hvmn.com slash D-R-E-W. Check it out. You will not be disappointed, I'm telling you. This this person, this monster you dealt with during COVID sounds like what's called a female sociopath. Female sociopaths are very dangerous. They're more dangerous in many ways than male sociopaths. Tell me. Because they're, they can manipulate uh, and use sex and use Roma and use everything they've got to, to, to gain power and control over men. Well, this, you know, I, I, managed, I have uh, two great shrinks. I have one great, I mean, still. But back then when I was in New York, I had another one. And I got, both of them interviewed her. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. And the sense was um, there's a criminality. Well, that's the sociopathy, yeah, or antisocial, like, you know. That's yeah. Like, here's, and I don't know if this is a psychopath or a sociopath. Um, one of my doctors called her a um, anglerfish sociopath. Yeah, well, anglerfish puts out all these lights. This one puts out this incredible narrative mm-hmm. about the life of devoting herself to. People who have no no advocate. Oh boy! Yeah, right. That's the mo- that's that's the life, and they they have this narrative and in their head, and they sell the narrative, and nothing makes them angrier than when that narrative is threatened. Yeah. Well, they can get the borderline rage is oof, very. Tough. Tell me about. Tell me. I, I I know you know a lot more. Than well, p- part of part of the borderline situation is unregulated hostility like they're they have this hostility that just comes out of them and their rage is more in the zone of narcissistic rage like when they get threatened they get extremely rageful and can be very destructive to themselves and others very destructive i want to say you know on the i saw this person become enraged in a way that was past fight or flight. Right. Um, this was like enhanced yeah. mania. Yeah. Rage. Yeah. Um, the words couldn't come out without the voice breaking, a strident, like a strident trumpet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The voice couldn't support the anger, the volcano. Mm-hmm. That, that occurred when the narrative was taken away from her and we ran into another guy who was just like me. Well, when she's threatened, you know, with the, the threat. Is- and, and, and I didn't know if I was going to get out of that room alive. Yeah. I'm telling you, I've been rageful. You have, we've seen it. Yeah. I haven't seen anything like this. No, I, it, it, it can be a murderous rage. Or it can feel like a murderous rage. That's for sure. Let me throw this curveball at you. Yeah. Let's say you want to hurt someone 
as bad as you can, um, but not actually have to go to jail yourself. Okay. Let's say in the sociopathy, that's your motif. What's the best way to do that? Lie. Oh, sure. Get someone to believe something that they, they've been needing to believe their whole life till it becomes a beacon of hope, a religion. Mm. Right? And mm. then move in and fuck their boyfriend or fuck their boss or Shoot. fuck their child, their son. Do that. And this world person's world will never be inhabitable again. Do you see where I'm at? Yes, yes, yes. It's it's. And you're it's, saying you're aware of that sort of stuff happening. I, I'm me. I'm aware that people do that kind of thing. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, no. I listen. Having worked in a psychiatric hospital for a long time, I cultivated the word whatever, which is. And expect anything, anticipate anything. There's, it's whatever. It's there's no limit with, with humans. There really isn't. And I, I, what I also learned, however, is to be sympathetic or at least empathetic for sick people are sick. People get sick, and and I I get kind of angry when sick people don't get proper treatment. Now, now sociopathy doesn't really have a treatment. Doesn't really have a treatment. I have heard that there's no treatment. Yeah. There's no way to treat it. Yeah. And so I feel like they need to be firmly put in place. Supervised. Maybe have their keys to their home taken away from them. But you got to, you know, you got to wait till they commit that crime. That's the hard part. That's the hard part. You know, I mean, Cops don't arrest people for stuff they might do, especially in a place like New York City. No, that's right. And, and to be fair, um, <laughs> to be fair, occasionally they can be used productively as spies and you know things people that have manipulate for their living. You know what I mean? You can turn. Well, the- there was the TV show "It Takes a Thief." Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Like if I. If, there, if there's any FBI people listening, check this one out because, brother, she is drop-dead brilliant. Mm. I mean smart. I mean crazy smart. And what if... Well, you know, I had a friend of mine said, so there's two different sides, two different personalities. Do the personalities talk to each other? I mean... To really understand what I was dealing with, my doctor had to read this book, uh, The Stranger Beside Me, about Ted Bundy. Yeah. There's two different personhoods. Yeah. Two different. Yeah. I, I don't I don't have a clear – you're asking some really, you know, difficult questions to answer, right? Because you and I don't experience this state, so it's very hard to talk about other people's subjective states, you know? Yeah. Uh, and I want yeah. to – I want to add that the last two precepts of the play, this great doctor was enabled. He was able to get me to begin a type of forgiveness Mm. for my perpetrator. Now, what Mm. does forgiveness mean? Like monsters don't make themselves in order to be a monster. You first have to be a victim to really understand that this person uh, who, you know, we, 
you had you had forty doctors looking around saying, "What the hell is wrong?" But none of them are looking over here, where the moral checklist is being pulled out, checked out by the pillar of the community and the beacon of the ch- deacon of the church. Right. I mean, they hide in the light. That's Jeez. where they hide. Oof. So I had. In order to survive, I had to develop a little sympathy for the devil. I mean, that's what happens. I mean, this is what this is what happens whenever somebody has abuse, right? Well, of any type, you have to you have to develop some forgiveness for yourself and something like forgiveness for the the perpetrator. Yeah, and the, and the forgiveness is you know it's coached into me is forgiveness is for you, not them. Right. We're not going right. to approve them. No, no. We're no. not going to love them. No, no, we're no. We're going to always decry them. Yeah. But we're moving on. And this crazy spiritual principle that I learned from this doctor, nothing frees you from your perpetrator any faster than a little sympathy for the devil. Mm. If you can stop manufacturing, I mean, brother, this is all highfalutin stuff. It takes a lot of work. But it's going pretty well, and it has gone pretty well after I met this doctor. That's amazing. Hmm. Like, what? what is your understanding of why do people cut? Um, there's various reasons. Uh, mm-hmm. In my world, people cut because they're either trying to dissociate themselves from some pain, or it's the opposite. They're trying to get back into their body. Dissociating yourself by cutting it by by taking a razor and opening your flesh. I mean that that's that's rather thematic. Mm-hmm. You know um, mm-hmm. why 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 did you pick that? You know there's the notion like for me it seems to me that it was about letting people know there was something wrong. I was in this house. I was afraid to speak out. You're a kid. You can't go out in public. Right. Won't someone come over to me and look at my arm one day and go, what is wrong with you? Right. Except like, you go to great lengths to hide it, right? Um, not really. Really? Okay. I mean, most, I most people do. Shirts just like everybody else. Yeah. Um, but as I got older, when it really began to occur, I did hide it. Mm. Like when it really, because it was when I was young, it really only happened a couple times. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it happened and when it happened. Some, some, of, some people get addicted to it. Yeah, because um, it can also be a reenactment of a sexual experience. Mm-hmm. That wasn't the case with me. In my explain, case, explain, people will make that connection automatically. Explain how that's the case. Because something goes in your body that you don't really want there, and then something comes out of your body that you don't really want to come out. So if you're being molested as a child and not understanding what's being done to you, you could have a primal response to it. Right. Right? Yeah. And then you have, you know, just when you're talking about monsters, you know, the Manson murders is as... Sharon Tate is being murdered. Um, Susan Atkins has an orgasm. 
What? Have you, I mean, I read that online. I've read that in a, a couple accounts of that. Who, who reported that? I'll get back to you with it. That's crazy. But you go into these documentaries. I mean, something comes out new every year on the Manson. Ugh. I'm sorry. Maybe I shouldn't have quoted it. No, no, it's okay. It, you read it. It's not like but it's coming the, out of your head. The idea that this is thrilling. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. the, the co-ed killer talking about how sexy it was to go back and see a skull. Dude. So, right? confu- so confused. Do we call them monsters? Are we ready to call them monsters yet? Or what? Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I I mean, I just never even thought of anything like that until somebody conned me like that. Mm. And you wonder why. Why are you doing that? The show, what was the show? Um, come on. Connie Britton, Dirty John. Mm, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. About the man that did that to a woman in, in Newport Beach. Yeah. Same thing. Yeah. yeah. And And... And, and what's the guy get out of it? Why is it so sexually appealing? His sense that he is a ra- erasing a person. Ugh. So they're out there. Yes or no? Yes, they're out there. Oh, man. Am I being dull? Is, am I being dull? No, you're being fascinated, as a matter of fact. Oh, oh. And, uh, and oh. I, I'm trying, though. I'm, I'm having difficulty... Um, <laughs> staying clear on what was your con and what is the play yeah um did the con trigger you to write the play no i i was triggered to write i wrote the play it was first at la jolla playhouse um huh. eight years ago it was hmm. la times uh pick of the week for seven weeks in a row hmm. a great review by charles or is it charles melty who was uh i i guess at the time and maybe still is theater critic um, it was received very well out there. Yeah. Right. So that's when it, it, it occurred. But getting a play from La Jolla to 42nd Street takes a lot of time. Yeah. It just does. There's too many people involved, too many schedules involved, you know, syncing up this producer with this Tony Award winning director when he's free. You see what I mean? It, it, mm-hmm. it takes time. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Um, this is off Broadway. And maybe they'll take it uptown again. Who knows? <laughs> I'll go out there and try to try to do a good job. You're about to hear a preview of the Jordan Harbinger show from an episode all about sand. You heard me, sand. It's actually quite fascinating. It's the most consumed natural resource that the world is actually running out of. Every year, we use enough concrete to build a wall 90 feet high and 90 feet across right the way around the planet at the equator. We're fully eclipsing the rate of creation here. You're probably sitting in a building made of just a huge pile of sand. And all the roads connecting all those buildings, also made out of sand. The glass, the windows in all those buildings, also made of sand. The microchips that power our computers, our cell phones, all of our other digital goodies, also made from sand. So without sand, there's no modern civilization. And the craziest thing about it is, we are starting to run out. 
For more on why sand is the next scarce resource and crazy stories about sand pirates on the black market for sand, check out episode 97 of The Jordan Harbinger Show. And so you, you, you'd written the play before the con, right? Yeah, I wrote the play years ago. Okay. And, and this con thing happens. And, and how do the two relate, the, the con and the play? How, how do you see them as relating? Because they haven't, um, we haven't gotten well, to the details in the play yet. Well, either. my doctor said to me, um, all your life you've been looking for a stand-in for your mom and you found her. It's the same person. Mm-hmm. Both leading double <laughs> lives. Right. Except so- one is an extrapolation. One is an italization. Italicis. Am I making myself making my point? No. There's this one that does this at this level, and then this one that expands it. I see. I see. I see. So, so I remember you telling story. You know, we used to come and visit us on Loveline, and you would tell us stories about your mom, like putting scissors through your tongue or something, and or a knife through your. There tongue. There was a stab. Crazy, yeah. Crazy, crazy shit. Uh, and so do you want to tell people? She was interrupted at the process. Yeah. It's just a serrate. Well, I'm not supposed to give the plot of the play away, but does she make, that's going to be my question. Does she make an appearance in the play? Oh yes. Yeah. Yeah. There's a scene in which, um, the doctor stages, uh, what do they call it? A dramatization, um, where the child meets the, the mother as uh, as an adult and confronts the mother. I mean, it's all it's all theoretical and staged theatrically. Yeah, it's in the, um, play. In it's, the play. I believe they call it somatic experiencing. Well, it this is in the play, yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, and did you ever, ever have a therapeutic experience like that? Yes, I had a version of that. Okay, there are various ideas about that flying around about these sort of. Uh, whether it's somatic experiencing or they used to call it psychodrama and they just call them generally experiential therapeutics and they're dangerous. They can make people more symptomatic. You have to be really, really, really careful with them. We saw a great example of it when I was um, in a hospital upstate New York and I had this break breakthrough mm. um, with this great doctor, you know, <clears throat> if you're not a skilled guide and you're going through the mind, Oh yeah, you can you can lead that person into disaster. Oh yes, really don't know what you're doing. They can realize something that they're not ready to realize. Yeah, and and flip out. Yeah, or or the 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 brain is so complicated. People can have memories of things that didn't happen, but are interpreted as real, or and they can't be sort of brought into the, it's all about integrating. Everything's about getting and becoming an integrated whole. And what, what memories are, are just, I don't know, things that we carry around that need to be integrated and regulated in our whole. Well, what about the hippocampus that's, that hides things until it thinks the body is is ready to receive it. We like the idea of repressed memories is fascinating. Well, it's how trauma works. Trauma you know, to survive trauma, uh, people dissociate from it right in the moment of it. Even they, you know, you, if you're in a car accident or something, you feel like you're out of body. And tell your audience. Tell me too. I want to hear what you 
mean when you say disassociate? Dissociation is a mechanism uh, largely thought to be mediated by the vagal nerve. It's a primitive, your, your brain is c- constructed in such a way that we are, we build upon older and older mechanisms. It's called Jacksonian dissolution, where we start with like our prefrontal cortex and our executive functioning. And as those things don't serve us, the, the, the situation before us is overwhelming over, we're, over we're so young that we haven't developed those mechanisms yet that we start to pull upon more and more primitive systems in our brain and autonomic nervous systems to help us survive the unsurvivable. And as you pull away from, go ahead, you say something like the Impala when the, when the lion gets a hold of it, it checked. It's just not there anymore. Well, even just when it gets scared, it freezes, right? Yeah. The free, the gazelle freeze. Yeah. The freeze response. So you know, we, we have something that we evolved on. The freeze response is something we share with lizards. It's through many different animals and, and you know, systems. Uh, it's a very primitive survival mechanism in the face of threat. We have something on top of that called fight or flight. We can go into this fight or flight mechanism to try to get away. But when it's clear that we can't get away and strike is inevitable, we go into a freeze response where our, first of all, our blood centralized. So if something gets pulled off of us, we, we don't bleed so much. We uh, are flooded with endorphins so we can tolerate what happens to us. Cortisol comes into our system. And our vagus nerve, if it happens early, the vagus sort of stops developing. And in, in, as a result, we, we become sort of repetitively dependent on dissociations. It becomes our primary means of regulation. Like and, a, a child's nervous system can get ruptured and traumatized correct. and never really become an adult. Correct. And, and what we are, we are dependent on other brains to develop our capacity for emotional regulation. But in that closeness of contact of being attuned and the back and forth of emotional exchange that occurs typically between mom and baby, that is a very vulnerable state for children to be in. And if in that state they are by those people, they have been traumatized, they are not willing to go back into that frame anymore. Mm-hmm. And so they literally will not enter the frame that allows them to develop the capacity for more adult kinds of regulation. They end up trying to find other means to help them regulate. They become narcissistic and build a big sense of themselves on top of the deeply wounded core, or they never really develop a sense of self and they become borderline and their sense of self is very fluid and unstable. And they, when they have emotions, they act them out or they project them in. You ever heard of projective identification? Um, I have, and I don't fully understand it. Projective identification is essentially, it, it, imagine when you walk in a room and a baby needs to be fed. What do they do? They scream and cry in such a way that it drives you, it gets under your skin. They, they need to get attention and they get it from you in such a way that you're literally, your hair stands up. Well, if you've been injured early, you become dependent on that mechanism. And borderlines become very good at 
sort of uh, injecting feelings that they disavow, that they don't like, into other people and then manipulating them there. How do you inject that into other people? It's uncanny. It's uncanny. They are they are wizards at doing it. And, and creating feelings in other people that really belong to them. It's you have a, to, it's, you, you've got it. It's a it's a crazy pause thing. and that needs to be a, a bumper sticker. <laughs> I know it's a crazy thing. So when you if you come around a borderline and you have all these feelings like you want to run away or you want to you want to get angry, all these feelings that you got to think to yourself, wait a minute, do I normally have feelings like that? Is that is that something I often feel? No, I never feel that way. And, and in fact, this feels foreign. It's being it's and the and the other person will accuse you of all kinds of things that it continues to escalate that that injection that uh, of their feeling states so they're they're they it's it's when listen when babies when children are um having an emotion right the way they learn to regulate that emotion is a, another person comes up attunes to them signals on their face what they're seeing in the child very subtle changes in the musculature <laughs> face and the child learns oh that's my feeling that's my feeling and the mother gives attunement and soothing affects alongside of that if every time mom comes up to you when you're a baby and you hurt yourself or you're hungry or whatever, and mom goes, oh, my God, oh, my God, that you learn that your feelings exist out there in the other person. And I have to regulate my feelings in the other person as a means of survival. And that's one of the ways where codependency comes from. That's where projective identification. I'm telling you, if, if you're out there in the dating scene and you meet someone exciting, Beyond your wildest dreams, you're going to want to look at their psychiatric record. <laughs> well, if anyone has ever said to them that they are borderline, you you need to know. <laughs> it's true. You do need to know. It's very funny. It, it but I, but I don't, but borderlines deserve love too, right? And uh, b- borderlines can well, look, they can, they can learn to regulate themselves. They can get a lot better with the, the, the dialectical behavioral therapy. But here's the creepy part. When you're with this part of their personality that is lovely. Yeah. Lovely. Mm-hmm. My God, what a sensitive, tuned-in creature. Mm-hmm. Oh, and by the way, there's something electrifying about her under the sheets. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's hard to walk away from. Yes, it's addictive. It's addictive, and people with... Uh, trauma and intimacy challenges start to con- very often confuse intensity with love and intensity yeah. becomes very addictive. Yeah. And, 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 and a person that uses uh, theatrics to almost, it's almost a performance art to get you to believe that you are the most important thing that ever happened to them. Mm -hmm. Well, but that's whenever anybody tells you that you are the most fill in the blank, anything (laughs) ever in the world, expect that you're also going to be the worst piece of shit ever in the world. It it is the, it is this, uh, (laughs) theorized as good mom, bad mom splitting. Uh, There's lots of names for it. 
But uh, many physicians fall for that shit because they, the, the borderlines will come in and go, oh, my, only you're the best doctor ever. I'm going to tell all my friends. And if it's a famous person, watch out. And then if they that doctor disappoints them in any way, watch out. Well, looking for a stand-in, huh, to make somebody pay <laughs> for, for what happened. I, I don't know. When I was in the treatment one time, um, they were encouraging uh, um, those likely to couple sexually. Yeah. Um, and this goes for both the men and the women. Yeah. That these are young trauma patients with sexual trauma. Yeah. Who are likely to be looking to get someone to pay for what happened to them. Mm-hmm. Or, or, or don't even really understand that. No, no, they don't have any awareness of it at all. That they're, I mean, what was the thing? Gone Girl, the Ben yeah. Affleck thing. Yeah, she's just going around wrecking people, mm-hmm. getting them to pay for, for a, not being able to respond to their perpetrator. And and that's more where it goes into the sociopathy, right? where other people are objects for their service, for their need to make them happy. But what about the idea that that, that, the sadistic thing my doctor said one time when reviewing the situation is a criminality Mm -hmm. to the sadism. And we just discussed it earlier. Yeah. Inflicting pain is eternal. Yeah. Well, criminal, I, I, I beg ignorance when it comes to the criminal. I, I really don't understand criminal. I, I've dealt with it. I'm aware of it when I'm around it. And I just don't know what to do with it. Because the way I experience it is it's typically somebody who's had some criminal behavior and is sort of sociopathic and who also is like can be a very, I can get in touch with the person. I can actually get through to them. They're, they're not completely gone. And that person will, even with their body language, I've noticed they'll they'll go, they'll do this open thing. All right, I'm listening. All right, you seem like an okay guy. Uh, and then as I'm getting deeper in with them, they'll kind of sit forward and then they'll go like this. It's all bullshit. They take this position like, it's all bullshit. They always go to this position like, oh, whatever, fuck you. It's, it's all bullshit. You want something too. It's sort of their position. Like you, you everybody just wants something from somebody. And that's, whoa, I don't even know what to do with that. I don't know what to do with that. I really don't. Um, Well, that's a mindset, right? Yeah. And and I've not been able to do anything with it. It, 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 Even when I feel like I'm making great progress, they will just all of a sudden fall back into that mindset. Mm -hmm. I like the idea. I'm fascinated by the idea that some doctors won't even treat a borderline saying that a borderline will come in there um, and begin to manipulate them before they know it. Correct. They and, will, the borderline have, will figure out your blue, their blueprint fast. Yeah. Well, you certainly, if you're a male, wouldn't be in the room alone with one because they will claim all kinds of things. Yeah. And, and often believe it, like be able to pass a lie, lie detector test. We're almost talking about superpowers. Here. Yes, they have superpowers. Listen, have superpowers. listen to this. This is the craziest of all. And it's this is non-scientific. But my charge nurse, I, uh, we had our unit was way down the other side of campus. And I would pa- I would park an eighth of a mile away behind two buildings. 
and then walk to the unit. And my charge nurse swear, swears that she could always tell when I drove onto the campus because the borderlines would start to spin. And and borderlines would I, I do I do pretty well with borderlines actually. I, I actually like treating them. I can function well with them. I, I have to, you know, I need a female with me all the time when I'm in there with them to make sure things are safe and proper and whatnot. But they always they particularly they're drug addicts because because I I don't know, I'm I'm sympathetic to borderlands. I feel like I feel like they they hurt themselves as much as they hurt anybody. Else. Well, where did they come from? They were created. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mostly, mostly. But mostly. Hey, she, my nurse would always come on the unit and she'd do this. She goes, and this was her the, her antenna. She'd go like this, which is a sign that the borderlands knew I was here, and that they'd been already they were in a, in a treatment room already spinning like maniacs. Now, maybe it was the time of day or maybe it was whatever, but they would start acting out in order to get attention from me and get drugs from me, whatever it was they wanted. Wow. Yeah, crazy, right? Superpowers. It is kind of a superpower. And and they, because of that projective identification thing, they are highly tuned into other people. I mean, they know what you are thinking. Just the idea that there is someone that can walk in to your life, figure out what it was you wanted to hear, so that suddenly you developed a new sense of beliefs about who you were and what the world was. <laughs> yeah. What do you need to believe? Figure out what you need to believe and then feed that to you. Yeah. And that's just the beginning. Mm. Because once this pre- person with these superpowers figures, figures out your sexual blueprint. Mm-hmm. Watch out. I mean, once deliver that payload. Yeah. You're not leaving. Yeah. It's very hard. It's very painful. It's very You're like pugs at, pugs at the dog park. You don't have to put them on a leash. They're not leaving. They don't leave. You know, and you're not going to leave. And then there's the oxytocin factor. Yeah. How did you get I, out? I feel love. Yeah, yeah. Someone loves me. The addiction, the intensity. So of deeply it. someone loves me. Mm-hmm. You know, like, wow, they really love me. And, and, and there's often a there's often a cycle of abuse, you know, where you go through like this this idealized reunion, and then slowly you're starting to walk on eggshells again, and then it's well. Here, here's again. here's how it goes. Um, you get attacked, and then the board, and then she breaks down crying. We have so I would be attacked, then I would do a fact. I said, "Can we do a fact check about the things you're attacking me about?" Mm-hmm. And we would go down the list one by one. And she, I would say, can, can, can we agree as we sit here calmly that I didn't do any of these things? <laughs> yes. Then she starts to cry. Lots of sobbing. I mean, deep, deep sobbing. Then you have sex. And it starts all over again. Flight 562 is Oh my gosh, my gosh, Brooke, we're going to miss our flight. We didn't finish the promo. Can we just record it on the plane? I will not be that person. What if we record it in the bathroom? Ew, no, that is disgusting. <laughs> well, we'll just have to go off the cuff and tell everyone about our podcast right now called Gals on the Go. Well, we are two gals constantly on the move with weekly conversations about friendship, navigating your 20s, relationships, trends, and just our exciting, chaotic lives. With Brooke Nicio and Danielle Carolyn, please come to well, the Well, I think it's time to board now, but this should be enough, right? Yeah, I'm sure they won't use it. 
But in case they do, new episodes of Gals on the Go drop every Wednesday. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. The other part of the borderline is a preoccupation with abandonment. And so her fear is that you, you know, when you reveal these truths about how ugly she is and feels about herself, that you will leave and then the sex gets you back in. Or at least feeling one like night when I caught her in these lies. What's that? There was one night when I caught her in these lies. And yeah. I, you know, I don't know if anyone of your listeners knows what it's like that you love someone so much and it, your soul knows before your brain does that you're being lied to mm. really being lied to. And, um, there was one time when I, I caught her in these lies and she began me to, she began to beg me to hit her. Oh boy. <laughs> what, 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 what does that I, I don't I don't know. I mean that's but that's obviously very pathological. Wow. Well listen, what happens after you hit her? Sexy. She makes a phone call. Oh yeah, of course, of course. And then she owns you. Yeah. But can the borderline weaponize their own tears? Oh, everything. I mean I I, I feel bad. Listen. I'm having a little bit of experience here. We're, we're we're speaking so pejoratively about people with certain pathology, and I understand they've hurt you badly and, and made you out. Of, but but trust me, the borderline suffer as much as their victims. As sociopaths, it's a little more it's a little more clear cut. And I'm wondering if this person you're involved with was actually a sociopath uh, well, with borderline features, with borderline stuff, you know. But what is the sociopath? The sociopath looks for prey. Sociopaths, so right, they can be cold-blooded, they're entertaining, they're fun as hell, but they really don't care about anybody except themselves. Like, really, well, not in a narcissistic way, in a total, total way. Like, the most important thing to me, and I've talked to other people who've had this experience, is I want them to feel bad about it, too. Mm. I want them to feel bad about what they did. It's important to me that what they did matters to them. Mm. And I remember what my shrink one day, I was, I was like, I want to go to New York and confront them about what they've done. Yeah. And she said, why don't you go confront a shark? I was going to say, it's just what they are. It's going to be very unsatisfying. Go yell at a shark. She's absolutely right. Because you're not... <laughs> They're not going to have any real understanding of what yeah, they're trying to avoid. Right. Nor that's do they. Great, that is a great. That is a great insight and a great statement. And really, a me. lot of people with personality disorders of various types. Yeah, you want them to feel bad. Oh, I wish they'd feel bad. Do they think about me? No. No. I remember one time, Shrink said, "Don't stir the pot. She isn't thinking about you." tiptoe in the opposite direction she's much more powerful than you trippy right yeah leave it alone i remember talking to a cop about this a guy that used to 
do security at SNL. Like, and his sense was, you're going to walk away from this one, brother. <laughs> you're giving this one a pass. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Because when they get, when you go online and find out what there is to find out about this person um, and what that means, mm. um, you're going to walk away. So, so getting back to the play. Yes. Uh, it, this really excellent psychiatrist that you found was, <laughs> it was a he, right? Yes. And he started you on this road of insight into these situations and trauma. Into the, introducing me to the idea that mental illness is not an airborne virus. It comes from very somewhere very specific and it has a story. Mm. Right. Just mm. the idea that I was this way because of something that happened. And that means a lot to a person who's been wandering around wondering what the hell is wrong with them and sort of idly playing with the thought that maybe this is my fault. It, it's so odd to me that no one had brought that up to your attention before this uh, psychiatrist. No. Weird. Couldn't figure the damn thing out. Did you see Couldn't people the with the, the right letter? Did you see people with the correct letters after their name? You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, the first... You know, the the doctor in this play, I, we also put in the place, there were three doctors. They were all Cornell Hospital MDs, mm-hmm. a psychiatric ward. And when I would go there as a cutter, they were, they would say to me, just remember, you're this way because of something that happened to you. Yeah. This is not your fault. Mm. This is a biological response that you don't have any control over at this right. time in your life. That's right. It's a brain. You will if you pursue therapy. Mm-hmm. But there's always an antecedent. Mm-hmm. Where, where did this come from? You know, the coaching into me. That, and besides, it's not. It's more of a mental injury than a mental illness, because injury tells the story. Now you're talking. You know of and talk about the slim percentage where we just can't really understand why it's happening. Mm-hmm. But I, we're talking about, and I don't want to say the bulk of, but we're talking about the body, the world in which you can find an MC. Mm-hmm. And then what do you do? What do you do with that? How do you forgive the perp? Right? Because you just can't sit around angry the rest of your life and get cancer like that. And that, that's the, the, what the play is about? Yes. How do, you, how do you forgive the perpetrator? It's a, it's a very powerful question. Yeah. And also, in the play, you know, they, you have me asking the doctor something I asked him in real life. <clears throat> the most important thing in a story like this is, I said, you know, on the day I was, as I was leaving, walking out for the last time, I stopped him and I said, one last question. How do you know that I didn't make this whole thing up? Mm. You know? Yeah. What he said? Like, he said, well, A, when a person takes a razor blade and, open, and cuts open their flesh, by definition, they're risking their own life. Mm-hmm. No living organism can risk its own life unless it's ordered to save it. So whatever the psychological motif is, this is a life-saving gesture, mm-hmm. you know, or can be. And the second is, 
children don't make up stories about their parents that would put them in prison, even from bad homes. Mm-hmm. You know, you're getting into, you know, I did the Adam Carolla podcast about the Menendez brothers. You're getting into dark territory that a thousand years from now they'll probably understand, but we're just starting with this, this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so you're not likely to have made up this story and you're not likely to have cut yourself that many times without an antecedent. There's a reason for it. I I would agree with that. And and I, the way I approach people when they say things like that is just, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It, it is real to you and we have to manage that. Yeah. And one last thing, if I did make the story up, that proposes that I am a sicker dude than he even imagined that you walk into a thing and sell that giant story. Well, not as a lie. It's, it's would be, have to be something your brain recorded in some way, you know, some, well, I released all my medical records to La Jolla playhouse. Anyone that wants to read them, you can read them. And these are, these are Cornell hospital records. Cool. Yeah. It sounds like a one. I really want to see your play. And I wish you could. I mean, listen, the play was slated for a longer run. Here's what they're doing now. You know, maybe, maybe it, it looks good and, and goes further. So we'll see what happens, right? Did you ever see the documentary um, Cracked Up? No. What's Come on. What's that about? It's about this play in my life and my childhood. And we go back to my childhood home. Oh, wow. And this doctor is in the documentary. Basically. Oh, fantastic. I got to watch it. Some of the same things you said. Some of the things you said today. Yeah. He's explaining this documentary. How long he, ago? How long did you first see him? Ten years, twelve years. Yeah, because this stuff was becoming more common in the common psychiatric lexicon about 20, 15, 20 years ago. Well, there he can show a model of a human brain and show how the tentacles of the nervous system begin forming here and then stretch out over the brain into adulthood. You know. <laughs> And and that a traumatized child it just may not it just may stop growing. It well, it, it does stop growing. It, it 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 becomes dependent on more primitive mechanisms. And you have an adult child, it, right? It's why I remember Adam and I used to always when we'd hear these women these calling us, and they we'd go, wait a minute, wait a minute, what happened when you were six? Because if you closed your eyes and listened, it sounded like you were talking to a six year old. Yes. I mean, exactly. Yes, because it's a, there's arrested certain amount of arrested development, and then things are kind of put on top of that that are very superficial and sort of. Um, but but you know you, survival structures. You know you think childlike things. You think like a child. I remember thinking um, when I found out who who did this. You know, mm. you think of I want great harm to come to them, mm. and I I remember when I came out here to L.A. I went to my friend, Greg Baldwin, who's a comic out here. And he said to me, would you want, would you want great harm to come to her? Do you want God to punish her? Do you want her to be in a car wreck? Do you want someone to kill her? Like, think about those for a second. Mm -hmm. Would that work for you? Mm. And the awful truth is no. Yeah. It's very powerful. No, it wouldn't. Right, because you're a good person. Well, I got yeah. enough humanity. Yeah. 
no. You know? And he's like, because you love her. You love her. Well, that's that's a that's a big jump to do to get there. That's hard work to get well, to that, that point. Because if you smart. can feel if you holding both those that incredible pain and rage and love in I, at the I, same I, time I, is very hard for people. Yeah, I disagree. I didn't believe I did. Mm. I just wanted you want someone to be held to account. Yeah, yeah. But how? How? Mm. Gonna get your your friends you know and law enforcement to investigate her and find right. dirt on her right. do you want to hurt her that bad do you want her in jail and then the part of me is like no and it's sad he's like then you're gonna have to take the long road with this thing which is forgiveness. Take time. forgiveness and to move on yeah. until that that great day when you open your eyes and she's not the first thing you're thinking about. Are there any any headlines in the road to forgiveness? Um, it's going to take a long time. I mean, yeah, yeah. I know that I could do things which would cause great destruction. Mm. But I... You know, there was years ago, I don't know how much time we have. I'll make this as brief as I can. There was a guy that sold tickets at McHale's Bar on 46th and 8th, and he had the running, the jumpsuit, the matted wig, the cigar, the pinky ring, and everyone says he was connected. Mm. And one day I was getting drunk in the bar because there was somebody that had insulted me, and I wanted to hit him in the head with a lamp. That's that was my little child plan. I'm gonna go back there. I'm gonna hit this guy with a lamp. Mm. And this guy says to me, "You know what happens?" He said, "The worst part about this, you you go do that, and then you're going to the penitentiary. You know mm-hmm. that's coming." Mm-hmm. But the second part is most human beings cannot use the word well. I, I cannot alter a person in that way. Mm. Cannot hurt them. Cannot brain them. You know, it's like a guy gets drunk at the bar. He's jealous. He walks up to the guy and hits him in the head with a bottle. The morning, next day, he's on the road to Rikers Island. Yeah. And he feels terrible about it. Yeah. 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 And so I would not feel okay about, I just got to take the long road, man. And look, I, I'm doing pretty good with it. Good. You know, but I don't, I don't think I, you know, they say you recover from this, but when you, you recover from it, when you change, mm-hmm. do you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. To me, it seems like water eroding a rock. It's when you grow, you grow away you and you start looking at it from a different perspective, different vantage point. Yeah. Yeah. And not be like, why isn't she thinking of me? Right, right, no, no. Why didn't this mean anything? No, no. I remember no. one time I was a clue on Jeopardy. <laughs> right, I was yeah. a clue on Jeopardy. Yeah, and I said to my shrink, "Hey, do you think maybe her and her mom might be sitting around watching Jeopardy, and my name might come up?" You know? <laughs> yeah, you know, that that could happen. And I mean, what do you think that would mean? <laughs> it wouldn't mean anything. 
But what do you mean to a shark? <laughs> and it would not mean a thing. Yeah. The shark took your brother's leg. Yeah. The shark attacked your mom. Yeah. That's how much it would mean. Yeah. Wow, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hey, we're we're sort of coming to yeah. the end of our time together. I, I'm having one memory in my head of a conversation you and I had also. I just wanted to clarify it. Of you spending time in a Jamaican prison? Yes. Uh, was, in the Bahamas. What was that? What the hell? I mean, how much time do you have? Like, that was a long story. I remember that. I just want to make sure I wasn't misrepresenting. It wasn't a dream the, I had or something. Well, you <laughs> know, my book, my book got, got up there. I'm fucked as a New York Times bestseller. Yeah. And it's in the book. And okay. that's what the play is based on. Right. Yeah, that happened. And uh, Freeport in the Bahamas. Yes, sir. Leg what irons, the, the whole bit. What was the, what was the original crime? I, that's the part I forgot. Well, I was I I had drank sixteen shots of golden rum, and I was in a stall with a man who had something that was purportedly cocaine, wanting me to buy it, um, wanted me to sample it. It got fuzzy after that. But the long shows, I was arrested that night for doing mm. coke in the bathroom. Okay, I see. I got off because um, the my father came down there with $5,000 cash and let all of that. I'm not saying that was, I got off because this lawyer, well, I mean, first of all, I didn't have a lawyer. Yeah. The guy comes up, my dad flies down with the trial with the $5,000. And just as we're about to go in the courtroom, a guy comes up and he goes, I'll get your son off for $500. My father goes, I'll give you three. I'll give you another two. Go in there and get him off. He goes, deal. He goes inside and he says, Your Honor, there isn't, this is a tr- what we call a trace amount of Coke. We don't even know if it is Coke. Has it been lab tested? You know? Mm. I mean, so the charges dropped. Because of that guy. Yeah. Wow, and I've, I'll never forget the guy who gets, who sold me the coke, gave me the coke, was in the prisoner's docket with me. Huh? And then he bangs the gavel, charges drop, and and the the dealer goes, "What ha- what what happened?" And the guy yells at him, uh, "You idiot! Charges dropped. Leave." I'm like, "What in the hell?" What, they got both of you guys off. Well, I think he was saying to him, yes. Yeah. And I don't know if he was you know, part of a, a scam. When you start telling, saying that people are scamming people, you know, you, you should have mm. proof to back it up and be prepared for a legal battle. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to say it. Um, he had it. That's what happened. Wow. Well, Daryl, I thank you for the creative solution of sharing some of this stuff with us and being so open about it. I think it's very important. Well, I thank you for the talk about the borderlines. Yeah. It's interesting, right? Borderlines have superpowers. That's they the, do have superpowers. And that's the refrigerator magnet right now. They can be used for good or bad. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, the other thing, by the way, is this was an uncommon diagnosis until like the 1980s or so when it sort of became pervasive. 
same thing with narcissism generally. This is this is a this is a historic thing that's happening right now. What's the difference between a narcissist and a sadist? A narcissist and a sadist? I mean, narcissists can ha- they can you know malignant narcissists can become sadistic if it serves their needs, but they usually aren't just sadistic for sadistic sake, you know, to be gratified by hurting other people. That's not. It has to help them in some way, make them feel better. And sometimes it, you know if they're you have to be a narcissist kind of to be a sadist, right? You have to kind of they're in the same club. Yeah, they're they're relatives. That's for they're sure. First cousins. Yeah. Yes. Okay. And, and, and but the point is that you know when I started working at a psychiatric hospital, there was all kinds of diagnoses, and by the end of the eighties, it all started clustering. Borderlines came in first, and then generally narcissistic disorders, cluster B, became all you ever saw. And if you wonder why we're having, you know, so much mobs behavior and so much craziness, it's all narcissism. And one of the things narcissists do as a group to to manage their rage that we were talking about earlier is they gather together in mobs and they focus their aggression on scapegoats. And there's a shit ton of that going on these days. You notice? Well, they're, they're living their whole life to find a stand in for their perp. Mm-hmm. Is, is that possible? That, that could be a dynamic aspect of it, but there's a more practical part, which is if we don't deal with our aggression, we'll turn it on each other. So let's all get together and turn it on this guy or this group. It's bad. It's not good. Mob mentality, indefinable. It's very bad. The only time I can find that it's been similar to this is sort of pre-revolutionary France. And uh, it didn't go well. It didn't go well. (laughs) Did not end. Okay. Yeah. So, all right, my friend, uh, tell them the particulars. Where do you want them to go? Give them all the the plugs. Um, Come come to, it's called Cray for crazy, Cray Cray. It's at uh, Audible Theater on Manetta Lane in Greenwich Village, right around the corner from the Comedy Cellar. Um, there's five shows. Uh, I don't have it all in front of me. It's like January 15th through 20th. And then how about, do you have a website or anything else? People find, follow you and find your... Um, Amazon Audible is going to begin putting out a website and a whole media campaign. Oh, I have a website. Yeah, it's Daryl C. Hammond or something. Daryl C. You mean, no, I don't have a website. I have an Instagram. Okay, Daryl C. Hammond? Yes. All right, we'll look for you there. Thanks, my friend. All conversation and information exchanged during the participation in the Dr. Drew podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. Do not confuse this with treatment or medical advice or direction. Nothing on these podcasts supplement or supersede the relationship and direction of your medical caretakers. Although Dr. Drew is a licensed physician with specialty board certifications by the American Board of Internal Medicine and the American Board of Addiction Medicine, he is not functioning as a physician in this environment. The same applies to any professionals who may appear on the podcast or drdrew.com. Hold on to your jingle bells. Pluto TV has all your holiday favorites for free. Enjoy Christmas classics like Scrooge with Bill Murray or Last Holiday with Queen Latifah. Plus, dive into festive channels like holiday movie favorites by Lifetime or Hallmark Movies and more. Download the Pluto TV app on all your favorite devices and start streaming holiday favorites on live channels and on demand. With thousands of free movies and TV shows, Pluto TV is your home for the holidays. Pluto TV. Stream now. Pay never. 